Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy, and what a delight for us to come to you again on this Thursday, July the 30th of 2020. And as always, we are blessed and so honored that you could join us today. And we want to greet all our listeners wherever you're tuning in from. And as always, a delight to be able that you would take your time of the day and, and study the Word of God with us in such a time like this. As I always like to say, you know, if there was ever a time where a true fellowship is needed, it is now. I know yesterday uh, Brother Marty spoke a little bit on, on that fellowship that is going to be needed, that is going to bring people together of like faith in such an hour right. like this. And and we are so delighted. Um, if you've been following, we're, I think we're entering either our 10th or 11th uh, uh, podcast on this series of John 20 and John 21. And we have been able to glean so much uh, prophecy, uh, parallels that we are going into. So I'm excited about today on this third day. And if you have, if this is your first time listening, I, I pray after today you can go back and listen to some of these podcasts that uh, will be able to give you a better picture of what we're saying uh, and what the Lord is saying in this hour. But uh, as always, it is a privilege to be here with the panel, with Brother Marty, with Brother Fernando, and to be able to study the Word of God together. And so, Brother Marty, we'll leave it to you as we continue on this journey uh, and continue to study what God is saying so that you can share what God is placing in your heart as we study the Word of God together. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, I don't know what uh, are you are you ruffling some papers over there or or uh, but yeah that's probably me. apologize oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's probably me <laughs> no worries. my apologies my, my apologies <laughs> I was gonna say between my my dog kennel over here every day and yeah exactly <laughs> Brother Marty, we, we always enjoy when we're listening to the podcast when we get the special appearances from your barking kennel there. My ducking, oh. yeah. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, you can tell we run a professional operation over here, buddy. So that's, that's what we're <laughs> Well, praise the Lord. All right, we're going to get into the Word again today as we begin. Uh, I'm going to have Brother Jeremy read to us, if you would, uh, Brother Jeremy, uh, the Gospel of St. John, chapter 21. And would you please read uh, from verse 1 through verse 6. We're going to be focusing in today on the fifth verse, but uh, I'll have Brother Jeremy read from uh, verse 1 through verse 6. I hope you have your Bibles if you're listening, and uh, follow along as we continue to explore uh, the 21st chapter of John. In Jesus' name. Would you go ahead, brother? Amen. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. <laughs> there were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and the two other and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately. That night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. 
but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that we've been discussing uh, over the last couple of podcasts, and really the last 11, like Brother Jeremy said, we've been digging deeper into the into the Word of God. Um, we started off by exploring the very first day of the resurrection, which actually led us to, uh, I think it was nine total or, or eight total podcasts out of just the very first day. <laughs> Uh, and so the depths that we've been discovering here are, are, are quite amazing. And and one of the things that we want to continue discussing today is uh, is the final chapter, chapter 21. And, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll we'll attempt to conclude uh, the whole chapter tomorrow. But there's so much here, it might go into next week. We'll see. But with that in mind, like we were talking about yesterday uh, off air, um, when you read the 21st chapter of John. Uh, what you're actually uh, reading, according to many uh, reputable and and uh, and re- highly respected scholars <clears throat> over the years, over the centuries, when you get to the end of John chapter 20, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, John seems to be concluding the gospel of John right there. He talks about that, you know, that he wrote what he wrote uh, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing we might have life through his name. And there are many uh, theologians in the, in church, throughout church history who said that originally the Gospel of John ended in chapter 20. And, and that when we actually have chapter 21 added to it, it was written much later by John and added to his Gospel like in a, like an addendum. And the reason that he did that, they say, is because of the rumor that began to go throughout the churches. And that rumor, uh, which we'll explore uh, probably tomorrow or the next or Monday, but <clears throat> it's where where the Apostle Peter uh, asked the Lord just uh, just before the the day or this appearance uh, was coming to a conclusion, uh, what was going to happen to John? And and Jesus told Peter. Let's look at that in verse 22 of John chapter 21. Uh, It it says, And Peter, seeing him, uh, speaking of John, uh, he said to Jesus, Lord, and what's going to happen to this man? Or or, or what shall this man do? And Jesus said, said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to you? Follow me. And then verse 23 says, Then went this saying abroad amongst the brothers, that that disciple would not die. But Jesus said not unto him that he wasn't going to die, but he said, if I, if I want for him to live until I come, what is that to you? And so they say <clears throat> that, that, that that rumor began to spread amongst the early church and made its way throughout the decades. And, and John felt compelled uh, to add this 21st chapter after he had already written uh, his gospel. And so when we read the 21st chapter with that kind of history in mind, it's really interesting. 
because he adds in that 21st chapter what we've been exploring, what he calls the third time that the Lord appeared to the disciples. And he gives us an account of what happened that day. And in verse 1, what Brother Jeremy was just reading is, is very interesting because how he words it. He says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And then he says this, he says, on this wise, he showed himself. On this wise, he showed himself. So basically what he's communicating by saying that is, you know, pay attention, whoever's reading this gospel, because I want to show you how Jesus revealed himself to us this third time that he appeared to his disciples. And so we're supposed to take note at that kind of, of, of talk. And, and then, like I said, <clears throat> it's interesting that he uses that term because he's expressing something to us. You know, as we've been exploring the 21st chapter, you know, what we've begun to discover uh, and what, 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 what we have been discovering is what appears to be a hidden template concealed in the historical narrative. Uh, you know, and that's fancy talk for just saying, you know, the way John wrote is history but the way that he wrote the history is at such a deep level spiritually that 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 there's much more there and and in this final chapter it appears that it's written for a final generation and if indeed the 21st chapter was like an addendum that that the apostle wrote just prior to to him uh, going away it's quite possible and there's debate about this and 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 i'll have to to research it a little deeper but it's around the time that he wrote the book of revelation that he added this and or or just before he had the, the vision on the isle of patmos nonetheless he had lived uh into quite an advanced age and so the fact that just before his ministry is concluding whether it's several years or not it's near the end of his life and he adds this 21st chapter it's it's incredible to consider that in that sense then uh what 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 is about to unfold and what we've been exploring has very very uh deep and profound uh implications to the final generation as we've been exploring and what it really is unfolding here for us to see so we have to approach john with the understanding that he wrote as he was led by the holy spirit and like we've talked about, he wrote in such ways which we are discovering were the kind of ways that conceal prophetic insight, but as well as reveal instruction for the saints at the end of time. You see, those who would uh, recognize uh, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which is what we've been trying to do, they would recognize that there's hidden manna. The, the, there's concealed mysteries. They're really like layer upon layer um, that has been sitting here waiting to be discovered, waiting to be discovered for the appointed time. And I believe that's this time. Remember, <clears throat> the the angel Gabriel, as we've mentioned many times, when he talked to, to Daniel, and, and Daniel had come to the final series of, of, of prophetic dreams and revelations that were given to him, uh, and he sought to have the meaning and the understanding of it, that the angel told him that that particular section of the prophetic revelation given to Daniel would not be uh, for Daniel's time to understand, but that, that, that it would be sealed and closed up until the time of the end. 
where the Lord would unlock his word to that final generation and begin to reveal mysteries hidden within the word closed to all previous generations. That's an exciting and incredible thing to consider, but that's what the angel told him. So there are layers upon layers that have been waiting to be discovered. And I think that that's what we're beginning to see throughout the body of Christ. We're not just talking about ourselves here. There are many, many things that are happening, many things that are being revealed in many and multiple ways. But concerning the scripture, there are things that are happening now in our world that for centuries, uh, the prophetic scriptures have basically been locked from generation to generation. But it's almost as if now, uh, if if you have even a, a thimble full of uh, of spiritual quality about you, you go to the Word now and read some of these things, and you'll think you're actually reading the newspaper describing the events that we're living through right now, because it is time to begin to understand them, right? So again, th- this is unique to John. You know, his spiritual sense, his view of the Lord. And his spiritual quality that was developed and deepened over time. And and this all was a work of the Holy Spirit in his life. Remember, uh, he began as the disciple of John, the Baptist, right? Along with Andrew. Mm-hmm. And, and both him and Andrew were the very first people to follow Jesus. And yes. he saw things, you know, therefore, in a very profound way. He was there when John baptized the Lord. He was there when the Lord returned from his 40 days and 40 nights uh, wilderness trial where, where he defeated the devil in that threefold temptation mm-hmm. of turn the bread into stone, you know, uh, cast yourself off the pinnacle of the temple or worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. The Lord totally defeated the devil and he left him for a season. Jesus comes out of the wilderness and begins to walk by the river Jordan where John the Baptist is continuing to baptize and he sees Jesus and again says, behold the Lamb of God. And it's at that point that we're told in John chapter 1, verse 37 in there somewhere, uh, that him and Andrew left John the Baptist. They became the very first disciples of the Lord. It's incredible. He began right from the baptism. He was there when the heavens opened and the dove descended and landed on Jesus. And, and he points it out in his gospel and, and the sound of the voice. This is my beloved son, right? I mean, all of that he experienced. And then when the Lord came back from his wilderness experience, uh, John leaves John the Baptist and begins to follow the Lord. This shows and defines a quality of discernment of spirit already developed by him. The fact that he's hanging out with a forerunner or a type of, of the Elijah that's yet to come predicted in the Bible. Jesus even identified John as Elijah, you know, the spirit of Elijah resting on him. So John was brought up under an incredible quality of minister, John the Baptist, no other greater prophet, Jesus said, has been born amongst women. That was his mentor. So you can almost, you know, if if we thought about it and got into that, you know, these are the beginnings of of the development of John and Andrew, quite quite frankly. Uh, but, But John is the emphasis here and how he saw the Lord. He saw the Lord revealed and understood it and was led that way by the prophet who was functioning, that is John the Baptist, under the spirit of Elijah. And so this spirit, this 
this quality of, of the Holy Spirit that was flowing in the ministry under which he was sitting began to cause him to become enlarged in his understanding. And, and the depth and the quality of what the Spirit of God was working on him simply by the exposure of the incredible prophetic events that he was witnessing by being a disciple of John the Baptist to the point that he recognized as soon as Jesus came out of the temptation experience in the wilderness that he needed to leave one ministry and go to the other. My goodness. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. yes, yes. You know, he needed to follow the Spirit, right? This is a man of unique quality, and, and, and he was the first to follow Jesus. And, and it's why we get an insight into why he saw things in such a profound way. You know, his understanding of the Lord was, was an, at an extraordinary depth, if you think about it. Like we were talking about yesterday, <clears throat> you know, he begins his gospel by likening and and equating the Lord Jesus Christ with the very light of the beginning of creation. He, yes. calls, the, he calls the Lord the Word of God. He calls the Lord the eternal God. He reveals Jesus as the Word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, think of that. That's incredible uh, when you think about what he was revealing and what he understood. And so he sees Jesus in these terms, these, these types of descriptions. They show his incredible depth of understanding. And so is it any wonder, really, I mean, that his love for the Lord was of such a great extent that, that he's called the disciple who the Lord loved? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because he saw Jesus much more than a man, right? Much more than yeah. just the Messiah amongst men. He saw him as the only begotten son of the living God, the very light of creation itself. That's incredible. And so when we approach John's gospel, uh, you know, therefore, uh, from a different but but no less consecrated and sanctified point of view. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. Remember, John was given the book of Revelation. Right, Jesus gave him the book of the Revelation, and so as we approach John, like I was saying, we're doing it from that sense, understanding who the man is. And I'm I'm taking the time to lay this little foundation today, so that in case you're just joining us, this won't be so incredibly out there for you. Because what we're we're being uh, allowed to see as as the layers of the onion are being pulled back, so to speak are incredible insights into end-time events, but not just end-time events for their wow factor or just so we can go, wow, that's a cool prophetic insight. No, how John wrote was to reveal the larger prophetic truths, but also within the revelation of the big picture is, 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 is designed by the Spirit of God to impact the person to whom it's revealed or the generation to whom it would be revealed so that they could prepare adequately mentally, spiritually, physically, however way you want to call it for what is about to transpire in the not too many days ahead. Were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, I was going to say um, in order to connect the, the word of God, you have to understand John's dispensation of the gospel. Uh, I think in the modern day uh, church today, 
the preachers give a lot of, um, what's the word, um, support to the teachings of, of, of the Apostle Paul, and they should. Uh, but understand this, that the Apostle Paul was not given the whole dispensation. He was given, he said it, a dispensation of grace. Mm, that's good. Right? right? So right. we need right. to understand what God gave to all of his apostles. And I think yeah. I think we I think we we don't do the gospel justice when we just focus on one apostle, and that's what we've done by and large. And what and what we've done with the apostle Paul is we we completely misinterpreted his his teachings. Yeah, but his, there's a reason why because we haven't also uh, studied the dispensation that God gave, like John, Peter, yeah. right? And so it's so powerful because John speaks at such a high level such a high level. I mean, I would put it at a level of the Apostle Paul, and we spoke about this the other day, and, and all yeah. of God's apostles did. But you, you you have to understand what Paul or John is writing here by the Spirit so that we can fully understand the Word of God and connect it prophetically. Yes, and that's that's a really good point, because remember, uh, like we were saying, it, it Jesus gave the book of Revelation to John. Right. He was caught up into heaven. He saw things that no man has seen, probably with the exception of Isaiah, Daniel, you know, that level quality, Ezekiel, those, those, you know, those stalwarts of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, he was caught up into heaven uh, and, and he was in the very throne room of God. Isaiah was there. You know, I mean, this is incredible. Daniel was there, right? He said he saw the Ancient of Days sitting on his throne. I mean, this is this is rarefied air and a rarefied person yeah. talking about here. You know, when yeah. when we're talking about the Apostle John, Jesus gave him the Book of Revelation, and don't forget, it was John who wrote in that Book of Revelation that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Right. And so, right? And so, why would his gospel be any different? Why would his 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 quality of ministry be any less different or any less profound in what he pays attention to than he, what he paid attention to in the book of Revelation? It it isn't. Right. Remember, it was him who also told us, I was thinking about that this morning, in Revelation chapter 13, he talks about, here is wisdom. And he says, let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, so forth and so on. So he speaks of wisdom, he speaks of depths of understanding in mysteries yet to be unfolded. And so he writes that way, understanding, witness, uh, wisdom. I mean, this was his emphasis. That, that was necessary. He's talking about concealed revelation within the word led by the spirit. He's the one who wrote in first John chapter two, right? Verse 26, 27, somewhere in there. He says, you don't have need. Not, not, not that God didn't set up a, a ministerial, uh, you know, uh, foundation for, for the church to receive from the elders and the bishops and the deacons and so forth and so on, the prophets, evangelists, apostles, so forth and so on. But John said, if you're in the middle of nowhere, you don't have a need that any man teach you. Mm -hmm. You know, because he says the same anointing, the same Holy Spirit that's in you, he can teach you. And so he's giving us keys. 
in how I think not only to personally develop, but subsequently, if we take it to its extent in the final analysis, he's revealing to us how we should approach how he saw what he saw, and therefore subsequently what the Holy Spirit hid within his own writings and what he caused him to, to understand. He speaks of understanding, speaks of wisdom. These are his emphases. And, and so that's why we're, we're approaching his writings, his gospel, desiring to glean with the same wisdom and understanding that he speaks of the things by which the Holy Spirit has concealed in the accounts that he had him write. And this is what we're going to right, and this is what we're going to continue to do today, if the Lord permits. And so that brings us to today's scripture. Amen. What were you gonna say, brother? No, I would just say in chapter twenty and verse thirty-one, John sums up why he wrote the Gospel of John, when he says that these things are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you might have life through his name. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, I think this verse sums up his purpose, you know, uh, his connection with Jesus Christ. Praise God. And, you know, and I wanted to say something else, and I think it's very important because, remember, John is walking with Jesus from the initial beginning of his ministry, right? And right. And it's quite interesting that the ministry of Jesus much of his ministry happened around the shores of the Sea of Galilee, right? Yeah. Even the even the calling of the Apostle John was made there by the sea. Uh, even some of even some of the miracles, even his Sermon on the Mount, uh, it is said that uh, it was given on a hill overlooking that the Sea of Galilee. You know, and even many of the miracles he did, he did around, you know, the 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 Sea of Tiberias, right, what, what John calls it at the end. So he was very familiar uh, with this. So what I'm trying to say is that much of the ministry was there, and it's not a it's not a coincidence that it ends there too in John 21, right? Yeah. <laughs> right by yeah. the sea. He's waiting on the shore. So just wanted to add that. That's good. Good background there. And so, and so yeah, and so that's where we come to, right, because we're endeavoring to, to now begin to go further. You know, and, and to and 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 to based on what we were been discussing to this point, again laying the framework for why we are allowing the scripture to to lead us and guide us into how we look at what is said. I, I don't think anything can be said more profoundly by John than than that beautiful thing that he revealed that he recorded in Revelation again that the testimony of Jesus is the mm. spirit of prophecy. And so it, it is. It is from Genesis to Revelation, therefore, hidden uh, in the stories, in 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 the in the, uh, in the topical layer of what we read in the plain sense of the scripture, is the fact of the historical narrative or the historical truth of the events recorded. But below that layer, and reserved mm-hmm. for the children of God that choose to pursue and to search for it with all their heart. Over consistent basis, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He begins to peel back the layers of, of what's on the surface and begins to allow you to discover what what that hidden treasure in a field really is in his word, right? It's, 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 he's telling you what his style is right there, right? That the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit yeah, yeah, of yeah. prophecy. It's, it's, it's the style 
in which he wrote. He's basically telling you, hey, when, when, when you read scripture, understand that underneath everything you're reading is hidden prophecy. Incredible. That's what he's telling you. He's yeah. telling you how he approached his writings. And, and, right. and if he's telling us how he approached it, then we need to approach his writings the same way with understanding that in every story that he wrote, in every chapter, every verse, there's an underlying prophetic hidden truths that we need to uh, uh, find and, 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 and see. Amen. And so, and so that brings us again, uh, and we encourage those that have just joined us or maybe you haven't heard the entire series, go back and see what we're actually talking about here because from the very first thing that he begins to record on resurrection morning uh, is where we began we saw and have been seeing an incredible unfolding of, of beautiful, beautiful uh, hidden and, and, and prophetic understanding coupled with uh, the challenge that results as a result of truth that is learned. Jesus talked about truth being learned and known, and that when you know it, it has the power and it will set you free. And And, and, and without going too far off down the trail here, He's literally talking about uh, the, the, the greater extent by which we begin to understand and have things unfolded to us, that it has the cumulative force of the spirit behind it and begins like, like heaven's dynamite to, to, to blow away every obstacle between you and, and the continuing unfolding revelation uh, of God himself. And when we begin to understand that, we begin to be freed from the prison of this world, which clouds the mind like a covering over our thoughts and our innermost intuitions, which were set there by the Father, even while he formed us in our mother's womb. And so what he's talking about here is that continual unfolding and the peeling away uh, of, of that which hinders our ability to fully be enlightened by the Spirit. That's why Paul began to pray he, to the Thessalonians, I believe it was. He said, from the first day that I heard that you got saved, he, he said, I didn't cease to, uh, to, to pray for you. Or maybe it was the Ephesians. I think it was the Ephesians. He said, I cease not uh, to pray uh, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, you might know what is the hope of his calling and what the glory of the riches of his inheritance is in the saints. And, and not to cease to pray that you would be uh, filled with the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. These all are incredibly beautiful things they're communicating. To some, they're not understood. The casual Christian can't possibly understand. I've been that casual Christian where you go to the word and you open it up and you read it and you go, oh, you know, that's cool. Or, oh, that's an interesting little thing there. You know, but there's never any depth to it. There's never anything below the, the, the even the, the, it's almost like the, just the tops, the granular surface is what they get to. But Jesus talked about the progression of the word and how the sower sows the word and the multiple <clears throat> reactions to the word. He talks about the sower soweth the word and some falls by the wayside, right? He says immediately the devil comes and steals the seed that was sown. And so it, it, it brings forth no fruit. And he goes down that list until he gets to the final, uh, the good soil, where he says uh, that, that it, pr it produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. 
That's a, that's a, that's an ever increasing harvest in the word. And that is how God designed us as we get older to walk deeper into the things of God. And this is not something that can be done uh, by accelerating the process. It must begin and it's one step at a time. But what was promised in the scripture is that when we got to the end, that available understanding would be unlocked, a supernatural impartation, for lack of a better word, and a word that's been hijacked by the hyper-charismatic community, by the way, but truly an impartation of the will of God to the saints of God at precisely the time they need it to understand what it is that we're living under. And so we began to explore these things, and we got to the 21st chapter, and 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 as we were talking about in the last two podcasts, what this is revealing now, and what we believe John is revealing here in the 21st chapter, in the way that he recorded how Jesus appeared to them and the events that were occurring around this third appearance and the final appearance that he records in his gospel, is actually an unfolding of end-time events that can be seen. So go back to the last two podcasts and you'll see where we got to up till yesterday. And I want to just remind you that, would you read verse one to us again, Brother Jeremy, as we, with all this that we've been talking about in mind as we quickly get to our subject and, and, uh, and bring this to a conclusion, would you? Yes. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples of the sea at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself yeah again like we said john's emphasizing this is how jesus revealed himself and whenever he speaks like that to us he's alerting the reader to take note because what he's saying is that jesus does not do anything just to do it but everything is full of meaning and purpose for the discerning eye and so, again, like we mentioned uh, over the last couple of podcasts in verse 1, John sets the tone for our understanding by drawing our attention to the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 1, the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, the name of the Holy Spirit led him to call the Sea of Galilee. John called it by its Roman name, Tiberias. And it's here that we begin to really explore in-time events concealed in the historical narrative. Remember, he uses very detailed language. He uses many symbolic phrases and, and, and attention to details, which are designed, really, to lead the discerning child of God into very, very deep prophetic insight. Small details revealing great hidden truths, right? So as an example, he starts with the Sea of Tiberias. He then, in verse 2, begins to talk to us about the seven disciples. We started, you know, revealing about those things. The Sea of Tiberias being a type of, of the end times where uh, the sea representing the nations, tribes, tongues, and peoples, as you can see, Scripture interpreting Scripture, John wrote in Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, that the angel revealed to him that the waters in the book of Revelation represented the whole world, nations, tribes, tongues, languages. So when he speaks of the sea, it's a reference to that, and Tiberius being a, a reference to that Antichrist, that Caesar, that Caesar-like figure, and that Roman-type dominating power. So we looked at that. So these are little details 
and then in the second verse, he talks about the seven disciples, right? We, we talked about that being a type of the church. Seven is the number of the church, Revelation chapter one, verse 20, right? When Jesus says the seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches, John is beginning to unfold in this addendum, the 21st chapter, that he adds to his gospel later in life, quite possibly, the unfolding of, of, of the plan of God at the end of time. In verse 3, he says they go fishing. We talked about that. But but he uses very specific language. They go fishing. They enter into a ship. Uh, it's at midnight. That's in verse 3. It's at nighttime. That word nighttime we talked about is midnight. And then he talks and emphasizes that on the Sea of Tiberias at midnight, when they're in this ship, they catch absolutely nothing. And then he gives way in verse 4 to saying, now Jesus is standing on the shore. And it's in the morning. These are all specific events that he writes in a specific way. And for the discerning eyes, you begin to peel away and look at the symbolic language or look at the language in symbolic or figurative terms. You begin to realize these are metaphors for the end times. In the morning, the daybreak, some, sometime between three and six o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then he says at that time that the disciples don't recognize it. It's interesting because he's, he's communicating the fact that even though it's going to be dark, it's sometime just before the Lord uh, will reveal himself in the fullness of the day of the Lord, right? He's yet standing on the shore, but yet he, he's trying to emphasize there that it's going to be too dark at the time yet for just prior to the coming of the Lord, them to truly recognize that Jesus is actually standing on the shore, but he wants us to understand that he's there so that we can we can infer a comforting thing there, that he's there, he's observing, and he's calling to us, even though we're not quite able to recognize that he's he's just about to bring us to the shore. <laughs> Praise God. So <laughs> we discussed <laughs> we we discussed these events. And, and and these details and and their prophetic meaning at length yesterday, like we were saying. But but let us now move forward here and and see what else we might see by God's grace. So <clears throat> I want Brother Jeremy, could you read uh, verse four and five to us again? And we're going to focus in on verse five today. Yes. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. Incredible. And they answered him, No, we don't. So, <clears throat> you know, John draws our attention again to details. And, and, he, and he says, Jesus is on the shore. They don't know it yet, but now they begin to hear his voice. And I think <clears throat> to understand, you know, from a prophetic and, and an instructional point of view, which is what we're in, in, in endeavoring to do, insight is given to us here in what John records that Jesus said. Children, have you any meat? So the first thing we need to look at, based on all those things we've been discussing, and if you're just catching up with us today, go back and listen to the last two podcasts. It'll fill in a lot of blanks because we're, we're launching off here from verse 5. And so you might get a little lost if, if, if this is new to you, but but if not, I think you know this is gonna is this gonna you know those who've been following us this is gonna gonna continue taking us further down the road here. But but what did he do? He you know this he calls to them. It's still dark and they don't recognize him yet. 
But what he begins to emphasize, and I think he included this in here, uh, beyond the obvious reasons, because, you know, it's Jesus appearing and talking to them. Um, he, he says, children, have you any meat? So he calls them children. And that was notable to John because he included it here, and he wanted us to pay attention to that in light of what we're talking about, right? We're talking about the church on the Sea of Tiberias, the seven disciples. It's midnight. We talked about midnight yesterday. They have caught nothing. The morning is fast approaching. Jesus is, is, a, is standing that close to the daybreak, yet it's sometime between three and six because no man knows the day and the hour when they'll actually see him. But he's standing there, and they don't know how close he really is. And then John kind of inserts this and says, that's when Jesus begins to speak. Because what are they doing? What are they doing? They're fishing. But they're not catching anything. Now, for those of you who, 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 who might, you know, uh, have a little bit of a, a commentary-type background, and if you go and look at what the commentators say about this, they take the story that we're talking about right now, and they say that the disciples going fishing is the last 2,000 years of preaching the gospel. You know, that they set off, you know, and they're, they're, they're doing their ministry, but, you know, that that's what it speaks of, right? They're, they're going off to do their ministry. But, but that's, not, that's not really a good way to look at it because of how John describes it, especially the fact that they have caught nothing. So if you're going to say that verse 3 is the disciples going out on the ocean and, you know, it, it represents the preaching of the gospel for the last 2,000 years, then you mean nobody's been caught in 2,000 years? No, that can't be. Because <laughs> we know, mm. right? I mean, for 2,000 years, the church has been hearing the gospel. People have been getting saved. So you can't approach verse 3 from that lens. And, and please, I hope I'm not boring you out there, but but I just had to throw that in there for for the for the person who might argue and go, ah, oh, you know that that just represents them going to preach the gospel the last two thousand years. No, it doesn't because of how John wrote it. He identified their fishing expedition at this point as being at nighttime, translated from from the King James English there into the Greek. It's literally midnight. He's talking about midnight, and and so we know. And those of you who've been following us, you know that what the scripture talks about midnight, you know, it's it's always a reference point to the end time, the tribulation, the last days, just before Jesus comes. And so so here we come. They catch nothing. It's the midnight hour and nothing is being caught. And daybreak is indeed not too far away. The word he uses there, the morning, actually references the fourth watch of the night between three and six o'clock in the morning. And so it's from this point of view, uh, which we're talking about, that he then calls to them and, and identifies them as children. And this is very important for our understanding today because uh, we need to look up what the word children means because it's not just what you would think on the surface and as you dig into it, which, which, uh, which we will right now. You see, the word children comes from the Greek word uh, Pideon, Pideon, that's how you say it, P-A-I-D-I-O-N, Pideon. And what it speaks of in its plainest meaning is, is a child. I mean, literally a child. Uh, but it also 
can mean a, a mature child, child that is mature, or a child that's immature. And it can also mean uh, to have an advanced or an immature intellect. Or both can simultaneously be inferred here. So literally when he's yelling to them, children, what John is recording in the particular word that he used there is that Jesus was addressing the, the, the figure of the church, right? The seven disciples in the ship as being quite possibly both mature and immature. Now, what this mean in, in their intellect, in their understanding, and, and if we look at the root word, which is pais, from pai, where we get paidion, it, it also means, listen to this, somebody who is beaten with impunity. It carries with it in that expression. Somebody who's beaten with impunity. What does that mean? It, it, it means to be in, corrected, but to be free from punishment. What are you talking about? It speaks of a child that is being corrected by their father, but not to the end where he destroys them, but to the end that he might educate them and receive them into his into his fold, so to speak. The difference between the child of God's correction and the world's correction is that the world's correction is punitive. In other words, it ends with an ultimate judgment because of their inability to 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 yield and repent and obey the voice of God. Whereas the child of God, he may be corrected, but it's not with it's with impunity. In other words, his correction does not lead to his destruction. It leads to his maturity, and it and it is part of being received and 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 loved by the Father. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews, right? Despise not the chastening of the Lord. Are you with me? Yes. So what he's saying when he calls to them from the shore by identify them uh, as as children, uh, if you if you continue to dig into the root word, what you'll see is that it also means it can also mean a servant, especially a minister of the king, and by eminence, a minister of God. All right, <laughs> all that's wrapped up in children. All that can be gleaned from that Greek word. So, based on what we're talking about now this 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 ministry of the seven this 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 church in the ship if you want to call it that way or the leadership of the church in the ship all of it is can be found in the seven that are fishing that night midnight being a type of of the end of time or the tribulation and them fishing under those conditions on the sea of tiberius being a foreshadow of the antichrist and his dominance over the sea over the world while they're fishing they catch absolutely nothing and 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 jesus standing on the shore now begins to address them from that point of view because he says do you have meat now what he's trying to infer by first calling them out children is one you are my servant you are a minister of the king you are eminent because you're also, you're a minister of god 
But in this time, what I think John is revealing here is that correction is going to have to be made to their understanding. It's not that they're an immature bride. It's that they are mature, but immature in their understanding of what it is that they're doing that's an error because they're not catching anything. And like we talked about yesterday, there's going to be a complete redefinition of what ministry is in these coming days. We talked already about the fact of how governments of the world are already shutting down churches, making passing laws up under this pandemic here in the United States, as an example. We talked about that over the weekend, did we not? That the Supreme Court ruled in the favor of, of, of the governor of Nevada, who said that uh, casinos weren't, uh, were allowed to open and congregate with massive amounts of people, but churches couldn't, and they were limiting the amount of people in churches that could actually come to church. And we talked about the danger of that is this, is that the state is beginning to influence how church is defined. And so it takes it out of the hand of the living, breathing community of the church and its leadership and now places it in the hands of that spirit of Antichrist, the governmental implementation and sanction of state-sponsored religion. And so yeah. our definition of church is, is, is actually changing right before our eyes. But you see, what we see here on the sea that John's pointing out in time type understanding, which is what we're talking about here, is that they're fishing on a sea that's ruled and dominated by a Roman system, the Sea of Tiberias, and they're catching nothing. And, and so when he cries out to them, children, he's literally trying to wake them up. He addresses them as mature in their development of their love as the church in the end of time, but he also is incorporating within that that there's a sense that what they are doing is of an immature nature. Their intellect in these matters at this time is immature, and he's trying to wake them up. So he says, children, but what they heard is what we're saying. You're both mature and immature. You're both uh, smart, but not so smart. You know, And I'm going to have to correct you at this time because you're my servant. And you're, my, you're a minister to the king. And what you're doing is unfruitful. You're doing what you've always done. But there's no fruit in the midnight hour. And there's multiple reasons why. And it's why he chooses to focus on what he said and the conditions that were set just before we hear the Lord's voice crying, children. So when the Lord calls to them, children, Remember, again, it's at that time. It's at that night. It's just before the daybreak. And so John is trying to tell us something about what the Lord was yeah. saying to them, right? He's trying to yeah. communicate to that end-time church that would read these accounts and begin to suddenly see something that God is warning about and trying to prepare us for. He addressed them uh, both as mature and immature in intellect. So, so it reveals what quite possibly is the reality of fishing on the Sea of Tiberias at midnight and what it's going to be like for us in these not two. It's already begun, man. 
in my opinion. We, we're, right. we're right right on the fringes of it, right? We've just begun to see the sea develop and Tiberius coming over the sea, so to speak. That spirit of Antichrist is well entrenched and moving. Whether you can see it or not, it's already well advanced and, and things are accelerating. And so I think John has put this, this particular verse five where he did uh, in order to reveal something about fishing or ministry, if you will. Uh, it makes you wonder, me. brother. It makes you wonder, Go brother ahead. Marty, if if um, mega churches was ever the will of God, because it's so entrenched and connected with the economy, right? Wow. And, and <laughs> think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and the fall off that that you're seeing, you know, I mean, like you said, they're they're uh, they're uh, what do you call it? Their offering place are collecting dust right now. Think yeah. about that, right? So, mm-hmm. was yeah. it the will of God for for these mega churches to to exist? You know, everything is so connected with the economy right now. Everything. Yeah. Everything. You can't survive outside of this economy. You know, it's, it's, everything is so connected. So um, that's why we're seeing what we're seeing. We're seeing, uh, you know, states and we're, we're seeing states legislate uh, the course of, of the churches today because they know they got them. They got them. They, they, they're, they're dependent on the economy. They're dependent on, on uh, you know, whatever decision is made. And because at yeah. the end of the day, this legislation is going to tell the people what to do and what not to do. Yes. And and if you want to right. function in it, you're going to have to come up under the, the law of it. That's what we see right Correct. now. You want to open your church? Okay, you got to, you know, skip every other chair, skip every other bench. You got to be six feet apart. You can't sing and you all got to wear masks, right? I mean, and, and you can't have more than 10 of you in the chair or whatever. I mean, oh, okay. Wow. Because really, if I don't start getting some money here, I ain't going to be able to keep this program on the air. Or, or really, how are we going to pay for these property tax or whatever? I mean, you know, whatever and, and, it may be. Think, well, think about this. You know, it says they didn't catch any fish. Well, what are, what are they preaching? Those that are daring to go against, you know, uh, the law, what are they preaching right now? They're preaching about church rights. They're not even preaching the gospel no more. Politics. Politics, yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's, they're preaching political philosophy under a religious uh, guise, right? You know, we have the right to freedom of speech. We have the right to assemble. We have blah, 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 blah. But like you said, brother, they're not preaching the gospel, and neither have they for a good 30, 40 years now. Correct. It's just gotten Correct. so bad now, right? What are these mega churches for the most part? They're, they're just giant Broadway productions. The, the, I mean, that's all they are. They've got the lights. They've got the, you know, the stages. They've got the video presentations. You know, they've got the arena. The arena's darkened, you know, so you don't even need your Bible. I mean, I, I mean, you can't even read your Bible. They don't even read from the Bible. I mean, so, I mean and this is what it, it became. And I honestly think God said enough is enough, you know, and he shut it down as a judgment. So what's going to emerge out of it is, is a state church. If you want to function in your church now, you're going to have to follow our rules. You're going to have to preach our messages. You know, all of it. Can you see, church? I mean, can you really see what's happening? Because we've got already the infiltration underneath all of this, underneath the guise of this 
this this pandemic, they've been passing rules and regulations uh, that that directly impact the body of Christ. And what's going to happen uh, and, and directly impacts our children at school. For instance, the whole agenda of these of these protesters and marches and their leaders and their platform, their political and, and ideological platforms that they now want to in, integrate into the very school system, teaching our children from kindergarten on up. And so all mm-hmm. of this has been transpiring right before our eyes. And a church that's going to try and function in this environment is only going to be that church of the beast system because you cannot follow these laws. You cannot be that public anymore and, 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 and not come up under the, uh, the judgment of the state. Uh, 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 the gauntlet has been thrown down in the spirit. And and uh, he that is with me, right? <laughs> he, he, like Joshua went and, and talked to the captain of the Lord's army. And he said, are you with us or against us? He said, I'm neither. I'm the captain of the Lord's army, man. <laughs> you know, take off your shoes because the ground where you're standing is holy, right? I mean, this is this is where we're where we are. And that's why John is writing the way he's writing. That's what he's saying. Yes. When, so when he cries but out it, to them. It's ultimately, but it's ultimately, you know, all all that's going on in, in the world is to make his voice clear. Because that's what he does yeah. to his disciples, right? He says, my, my little children. Right? Yeah. He, he, need, he needs his voice to be clear. And, and so, so, so there has to be almost a church that gives themselves to this world system. Right, so yeah. so there's no confusion yeah. when he speaks. You're gonna know clearly who who are his and who are not. Listen, the mm-hmm. the early church. I like what Brother Jacob Prash says. He says, you know, the early church began in a house. He says that he feels like that that, that was the Lord saying the the last day church is going to be forced into their houses. That's what happened. They couldn't they couldn't uh, worship freely after a while after Stephen was killed. And Paul went on his rampage. The church had to scatter. And then once they got up into Rome and the mad, maddened, you know, crazy Nero and Caligula and all them guys, man, that began to manifest and persecute the church, Domitian, they began to slaughter them in the Colosseums. They had to actually go underground. We were seeing a miniature type in the beginning of history of the church as to what will be a larger global reality in our day. And, and 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 so you know everything that we've known, everything is changing, and we have to prepare ourselves. That's why when Jesus stood on the shore, John points this out because they're fishing at midnight and they're catching nothing, and he cries out to them and says, "Children, like waking them up, addressing them as both mature but yet immature in their understanding of the time." And what they were doing was was frantically fishing and catching nothing. And so he asks them a rhetorical question. Do you yes. have anything? Have you caught anything? In other words, how long are you going to continue doing the same thing at midnight and, and bearing no fruit and catching no fish? You're mature, yes, because yes, you're driven by a zeal. Fishing being a type of the gospel and ministry, right, which is we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation, but you're bearing no fruit. Because you don't understand how close you are to the daybreak and yet how dark it is uh, that you, uh, up under this system that you find yourself on under tonight, this midnight thing that John described on the Sea of Tiberias. And so he yells yeah, it's, at it's, him. It's Go almost ahead. like ministry, ministry has to, there comes a time where ministry has to cease to give to meditation of the times. 
because otherwise you won't you won't be able to understand how to go about fishing if you don't understand the times, right? But good. again, it's a good thing. It, it's a zeal. It's a zeal to to catch fishes. But yeah. he's, he's, he wants them to pause to give meditation to what's really taking place, why they aren't able yeah. to catch fish, what is God really doing? Yeah. And right. in doing that, then they will be, then they will catch right the fish that they need. And that's what's happening right now, seems like, right? Yes. Like, there's ministries going on, ministries going on, ministries going on, but nobody's given time to think uh, the times that we are living in. And, and nobody has given, really, nobody has given us clear, a clear answer as to what, what, what in the world's going on. <laughs> I don't right. see it. I, don't, I, I yeah. don't see it on Christian television. It isn't there. <laughs> You know, I hear, I hear, I hear that our president's got anointed. I hear that we got to stand for our rights. I hear all that stuff. Yeah. But I don't hear what we're what we're saying right now. Yes. Amen. Uh, uh, yeah, and that's what we're trying to tell the listeners right now. That behind this question, there's something packed, very powerful. This is not yes. just a question, children. Why have you any meat? Remember, in mm-hmm. verse four, as you said, brother Marty. Jesus is standing on the shore, so he's not asking this question because he doesn't know that they don't have anything, but he wants them to realize their condition. Remember, in in the beginning, and we see that this is the way God works from the beginning in Genesis. When Adam and Eve disobeyed, and then God asked them, Adam, where are you? It's not because he did not know where he was, but it's because he wanted Adam to understand, you know, his condition where he was. Also, I think it's very interesting, my brothers, that Jesus asked this question to these men who were expert fishermen. Yes. <laughs> Remember, yeah. before they became disciples, this was their business. This, they were experts at it, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that when Jesus calls them, and we, we see something here in chapter 4, verse 19 of Matthew, when Jesus calls them, he tells them, follow me. And I will make you, it'll be a process, but I will make you fishers of men. Yes, yes. And we, and we understand that through the ministry of Jesus Christ, they saw his examples, they saw what he did. But at this point, right before he's about to ascend back to heaven, right? <laughs> he's resurrected, right? And Baba, and, and yes. he's going, he, 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 he exhorts him in this manner to understand uh, to complete what he had told them, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Yes, yes. And, and I think that that's that's powerful, you know, again, that this question is packed with something more than just, have you have any meat? He's, he's dealing with them. He wants them to open their eyes and see, yes, you have a desire, you have a zeal, but maybe you're going about it the wrong way. <laughs> Yeah, very good. And 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 again, what you said, you have a desire, you have a zeal, and, and and not only are you going about it the wrong way, maybe something even deeper is being revealed. In that, your attempts at fishing in this time period, John is saying, mm-hmm. in the midnight hour, that that it is fruitless, and that it is it is meant to be fruitless. You won't be able to save souls. It's going to get that bad. And and, and, and mm-hmm. just put that right there what I said now. Just put that yeah. what I said. 
because overall what they're doing is fishing in, in every way they know how. But when, as we would see later, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow, but in verse six, uh, where he, he gives them specific instructions, again, John noting the language, casting the net on the right side of the ship, and you're going to find fish there. All of that is packed with, with tremendous uh, insight and instruction to an end-time church that will be living under not just the figure of what John is writing about here, but the actual reality of it, which is where we are today. And so, and so it's not that there wasn't fish, it's just where they're located, uh, Jesus knows. <laughs> but, but where they're located, right, and where they're located uh, in the sea is hidden, you know, and, and it must be, which implies that we have a, a whole bunch of fish just waiting to be caught up in the net on the right side of the boat. And we talked about that yesterday, Matthew, uh, what is it, 25, I forget, 33, I think, Matthew 25, 33, or 24, 33, uh, where it talks about uh, that, on, that, that at the end of the world, God is going to separate the sheep from the goats, right? And the sheep or his fish that belong to him, they will be separated and placed on the right-hand side of the Lord. That's what is being implied here at a very deep level. If you can see it, it may be beyond where some of us are right now, but if you continue to look, you'll see, wow, that's incredible what he's actually saying. But let's get back to this children thing because they're fishing in vain. And the timing, it's midnight. It's somewhere between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning. No man knows the day or the hour when Jesus is standing on the shore. It's too dark to recognize him. They don't know who he's there yet. And now he begins to call to them and addresses them as mature yet immature in understanding because they continue to do the same thing, not recognizing the fact that he's standing on the shore and the sun's about to break upon their sea. In other words, I'm almost ready to come back. I'm about to draw you off the sea and bring you to the shore. Children, <laughs> do you have any meat? So he's trying again, and, and I need to hurry here, but John is trying to tell us something about what the Lord was saying, right, he, to them. I mean, he, subsequently, he's also saying it to us. That's what we're saying, is that this is an end-time, uh, beautifully uh, written account of things in order for us to learn and glean. So in addressing them as children, like we said, he's addressing them both as mature and immature in intellect. So it reveals what quite possibly is the reality, like we said, of fishing on the Sea of Tiberias at midnight. So that, that what, what is he saying? That it's going to be difficult at first to understand, and I think this is what John is really revealing, uh, is that we need and we must guard against being immature in our spiritual understanding, like Brother Fernando was just saying, of the times that we're living in. You know, this is the midnight hour, guys, he's, he's saying, right? It's midnight, and we're catching nothing, and yet it's as if we're ignorant to the fact of, of uh, that we're catching nothing, and we continue to toil uh, and, and, and absolutely bear no fruit. Remember, he said that at that night, at that midnight, they caught nothing. And, and, and that's the same scenario we're approaching in our times right now. We're not there yet, but we're getting pretty darn close. We used that the other day 
as an example about you remember uh, you know, let's go down to portland tonight and, and, and hand out some tracks to the crazy people burning down the federal buildings and right. stuff and, and see if you're gonna if you're gonna catch any fish are you kidding me or what about just a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago when that brother went down to that Chaz or whatever they called it there in Seattle, and he went down there and tried yeah. to witness to them? What did they do? I mean, they, <laughs> did it work out so well? No, tried to man. choke him out. They tried to yeah, kill him, and he had some, some crazy guy trying to kiss him and ask him how he liked being kissed by a man. This is the society that we're living in. And so this is the scenario John is telling us about, you're not going to be in, in in the distant, not too distant future. You're not going to be able to fish in the sea and catch anything anymore. My God. Now listen. So, so I think what he's revealing, like I said, is we need to guard against being immature because that's how Jesus addressed them. Yes, you're a mature believer, but you're immature in your understanding children. And then the Lord uh, standing on the shore, calling to them saying, children, in some ways it can be taken as as a sort of a rebuke right uh knowing now that we know what the meaning of children really is and and the question with that in mind is is going to give way to some deeper understanding here because that's what he goes on to say rhetorically next right which is do you have any meat now brother jeremy (laughs) that, that that phrase have you any meat remember this is john's gospel here and, and, and it is here that we have to allow John's gospel then to bring understanding to itself. With everything we've talked up until this point, the next thing he says is meat. Do you have any meat? Well, let's look here. Um, John, would you turn over to John chapter 4? Because I think we get some clues Yes. in John chapter 4. Can you turn over there? Yes, I'm there. Okay, now remember, John chapter 4 is the account of the woman at the well, right? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and and the Lord Jesus is uh, and the Lord Jesus in John chapter 4 sits on Jacob's well, which is in Sychar in Samaria. And would you read to us uh what happens in John chapter 4 now? Uh he Jesus goes and sits on this well and this woman's coming out to the well, but there's something interesting here because we're drawing in and we're pointing in now on the phrase Jesus on the shore saying, do you have any meat? And we're going to dig deeper into that and see what he was probably implying here is really, really interesting. But but first, let's lay this little foundation. Let's, let us let John interpret John. So John chapter 4, verse 8 uh, tells us what. Can you read that, Brother Jeremy? It says, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Interesting. So they go to buy physical meat, right? They go to buy physical food. Uh, and, and you know, we have that whole story in John chapter 4 of the woman at the well. As When they're gone, he's talking to this woman, and she goes, she gets saved, basically, and goes and preaches to the whole city. But when she, when they come back, uh, would you read to us John chapter 4, verse 31? When the disciples come back, read 31 through 35, would you? In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him out to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, 
there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Harvest, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are right already to harvest. Incre- yes, incredible. So now let's go back to John chapter uh, 21 and see that question from this perspective. Children, you mature believers at the end of the world, there is yet something that I'm bringing correction to you. And he he says, you're you're both mature and immature. You really don't get it, do you? You're fishing all night, the midnight hour, type of the last days, tribulation period, Sea of Tiberias, Antichrist, Roman rule, all that stuff. And and he says, you're you're immature. And, 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 And you don't know what you're doing. And then he asked him, do you have any meat? And we went over to John chapter 4. And, and, and Jesus identifies meat as what? As doing the will of the Father, as doing the will of him that sent me and finishing his work. Mm-hmm. So he identifies meat with the will of God. So it's quite possible. But what he's saying here is in, in saying, children, yes, you're mature, but you're immature. Do you have meat? John used that phrase, and I wonder right. if he was if he was wondering if, if what he was trying to tell us there and what the Lord was trying to tell us, knowing that John would remember this, is that is that we must not be immature and understand that to do that fishing like they were doing it in the midnight hour is not the will of God. Oh my goodness, that yeah. makes some people really nervous. Now listen. He said, have you any meat? Was the Lord alerting them and and subsequently us that their focus and their lack of a catch, they're fishing for fish in the Sea of Tiberias (laughs) as a whole at midnight is not the will of God. But the focus now... (laughs) But the focus now was to gather the fish on the right side of the boat. And I think we we see a hint of this when John draws our attention to the Lord's instruction. Remember later in the 21st chapter, he begins to talk to to Peter uh, uh, and tells him to feed my lambs, right? Feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You remember that in John 21? Yeah. Well, what are you saying, Brother Marty? G- when 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 the whole scene that we're talking about here is over, this Peter who led them to go fishing at midnight and catch nothing, Jesus tells him, your attention needs to be turned to taking care of my already established sheep in this time. Yes. The Lord's instruction to Peter later in the 21st chapter where he tells him Simon Bar-Jonah. Isn't it interesting how Simon, we'll talk about this tomorrow, he throws himself into the ocean just like they threw Jonah into the ocean. Because <laughs> what? He was, mm. out of the will of, he was out of the will of God, right? Mm-hmm. Jonah was. Yeah. And, 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 and the Lord addresses Peter as Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah. You know, it's the same thing. Peter's in the water because he's out of the will of God. In some sense, you know, we can look at it that way as well. This whole effort, this whole, you know, gather as many fish out of this this antichrist-controlled sea is not the will of God. And for God's saints to attempt to do so in the not-too-many-distant days ahead is a perilous thing to do. 
because what Jesus wants our focus to be on is on his children as we get closer to his coming. We need to begin to focus on one another and on his church. Now, I know that makes people nervous because it sounds like to some people, were you telling me I shouldn't be preaching the gospel and trying to win souls anymore? No. What I'm telling you is that when midnight (laughs) is in its fullness, you're not going to be able to win souls. They won't want to hear it. And you'll just be wasting your energy and your time and placing yourself in absolute danger. Remember. Yeah. Remember the, the remember the remember remember the 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 podcast we, series we did on the on the wise and the foolish virgins, right? In in Matthew twenty five. Yes. What what do we see there, brother Jeremy? Read that to me in in Matthew twenty five. I think it's verse ten. Yes, when he when they tell the the other five, uh, go get your own. Or, let me see here. Yeah, and then but, and then while they go get their oil at the midnight hour, which is the same hour that they're fishing on the lake here, uh, and, and we're yes. comparing this, right? What happens in, in verse 10? And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. So what we have here is 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 a revelation from the Lord himself that there will come a time in the future and we believe that's this time because it's the midnight hour, the same kind of language John's using about fishing at midnight, that a door will be shut. What we're being told there is is the opportunity to enter into fellowship with the Lord has a finite moment of time where it will no longer be allowed. These foolish virgins who came to the door later, he says, I don't even know you, and he doesn't let them in. These disciples, these seven, are fishing in the midnight hour, catching nothing, because precisely for that reason, if you look at it prophetically speaking, that the midnight hour will arrive and the door will shut. The the extending hand of mercy and grace to the world up under the tribulation period and the control of the Antichrist is going to come to an end. And so (laughs) he says, you know, what what we... what we literally see is that this is why they're catching nothing. You know, our focus is going to turn to the fish on the right side of the boat. Remember what we talked about yesterday, the right side, verse six, the right side of the boat that, and we compared that to the parable in Matthew 25, three, he identifies the right side of the boat because this is the time just before the breaking of the day. This is the time when he's going to separate the sheep from the goat the good fish from the bad fish. And that's that's symbolic of the right side of the boat. And remember the net, the full catch, all that kind of stuff, Matthew 13, that we read yesterday, verse 47 through 51. He's saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a net, right? And, yeah. and, 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 being, and they're caught up into it. And they separate the good fish from the bad fish. All of this, and I know that by now, some of you are just completely lost, some of you. But don't be. Go back and pause, listen, look at the scriptures, and re-listen to what we're telling you, and suddenly you'll see it. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, no, it's it's what took place in the book of Acts, what what we're talking about here. You know, the Lord the Lord is basically telling them, no, you're not going to catch anything in this Sea of Tiberias, in this world system. You've got to be very careful. It can be very dangerous if you're not led by his spirit. Yeah. 
And that's, that's ultimately what the book of Acts was all about. They didn't go all crazy preaching to everybody. and every, They were led by the Spirit. <laughs> You're right. You know what I'm saying? Cause, because if they didn't, if they weren't led of the Spirit, they would have died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everything that yeah, happened you... was led was led by the Spirit, and that's what the Lord is saying. It's like it's almost like He's telling the preachers, "Look, you guys, you guys been piloting this shit for too long. Move out the way. If you really want me to lead you to to those souls that need to be caught, let me take control. Let me let me guide you there." And that's what he, that's that's really that's really what what He's saying, you know, because it, it, we we live we live in in a day and age where the, the mega churches are ran by, you know, by numbers. How yeah. many people you can win? Right. What and what 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 has that brought us? <laughs> yeah. We're, we're more lost than ever. Yeah. And it's like the Lord saying, "No, your ways don't work. Let yeah. me show you. Let me show. show you. Yeah. But but yeah. you come. You have to come to a maturity of understanding the times. That's where it starts." You right. have to come to that place. And you that's know, what he's saying. We, Go ahead, brother. We bring our people and say, let's bring them to church so they can get saved. No, that's incorrect. Incorrect. Yes. In the book of Acts, when somebody gets saved, they were not even immediately invited to church. They needed to give fruit <laughs> that they would truly save. Because as, as, as Brother Fernando said, it could cost you your life. It was a, It was a group that when they felt that you were mature and that you were not a spy or just somebody, some dude off the streets, you know, you know, they, they would tell you where they would meet. And in this hour, as you said yesterday, uh, there's going to have to be a fellowship that is brought about by one thing, and that is the word. You know, John in Second John says that if there come any, if there come any unto you, right, and, and with another doctrine or whatever the case, he says, he says, he that abided in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. And what he's saying is, you're going to have to, in these days, God is going to connect you with those that are abiding in his word, in the doctrine of Christ. Because these are very dangerous times that we are living in this hour. Yeah. Amen. So, Go talk to our brothers in China. Go talk to our brothers in China and see how they preach the gospel and see if they go share it with everybody. They could be talking to a secret <laughs> to a secret spy. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. And again, like like we talked about and we used the example of John interpreting John, where he said there, uh you know, when Jesus told them when they came back uh, from the city and they said, Has anybody given you something to eat? And he said, I have meat that you know not of and he said the meat was to do the will of God. So when John mm. writes here in verse 5, have you any meat? He's literally revealing what the Lord was saying to them and how he writes again. Don't forget how he started these podcasts. He's talking about the mystical way in which he writes. He's, he's, he's cluing us there. He's triggering a, a spiritual depth of response that he wants us to have. Understand that at the midnight hour, it is not the will of God to go fishing in the sea of Tiberias, <laughs> but, but that there are fish that that belong to Jesus, and in that meat uh, to do the will of God. Remember what he went on to say there was, "Don't say the harvest is four months away, right?" He right. says the harvest mm-hmm. is now, and so right. these kinds of little threads begin to paint a picture of what he's actually revealing here. Is is that the harvest is now, and and that's why Jesus is standing on the shore because they're so close to coming to the shore 
with the fish that belong to Jesus. Do not divert your attention away and be fruitless because it's a dangerous thing to do. And, and, and so the harvest is now. That's what he's trying to alert us to, is that we've reached that time. And some of you yes. would say, remember, saying, remember saying, the, do you have do you have the right meat, the right gospel to close out the end of the age? Yes, right. that's in it too. Amen. And, yes. and and do you? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the question that he's asking them rhetorically, right? And he's trying to trigger a response from them. But at a much deeper, multiple layered level, he's talking to us. He's revealing something to us. And he wants us to understand that meat, as we understand it spiritually from the most spiritual of the gospel writers, is doing the precise will of God right. at the precise time, right? Yes, and, yes. And the will of God was not for them to be fishing at midnight catching nothing. The will of God, as you said earlier too, brother, uh, being led by the Spirit, in connection with understanding they're about to drag them all to shore, a type of heaven. <laughs> And this great harvest is about to happen. He wants Peter, as he goes on later in the chapter, focus at this time on feeding my sheep. Because they are what they are. They are who they are. Uh, it, the, the church is the church that it's going to be. And, and it's not going to be any different. Attention's about to be uh, soon turned exclusively to the nation of Israel to his people. He's going to redeem Thomas, right? We talked about that. He's going to bring him back. He's going to reveal himself to him. But the fish in the Sea of Tiberias, their door is, is, is closing rapidly. And when that begins to happen, he's telling his leadership, the seven in the boat, specifically the, the eldest amongst them, as identified as the rock, right? You begin to shepherd my sheep. You focus and begin to pour out my word on my people. And and I know where my fish are. And and, yes. and they're on the right side of the boat. He's going to make a distinction mm. between the fish in the sea uh, that belong to, to, to the world and the fish of the sea on the right side of the boat just before the day breaks, right? This is the yes. great catch of, of the right side of the boat. And I want to show you the parallel. Again, John's writings, as we close here, Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Would you read that, Jeremy, to us with this in mind, what we're talking about, this great this great harvest on the right side of the boat? We see it, we see it revealed in Revelation 7. After this, I beheld and lo a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Okay, so we see this great multitude. What happens in this 21st chapter that we're discussing, when, when they drop the, the net on the right side of the boat, they have this great catch of fishes, right? Well, just before that, read to us verse uh, 3, brother, of, of Revelation chapter 7 there. Verse 3. Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, so we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So what's being revealed there is that there comes a time where the attention is exclusively uh, centered on God's children and that they are sealed. It is as if, if you can see it, what Jesus was doing in the 21st chapter of John when he says, no, 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 the, the fish are over here. 
mine are over here. He identifies them just like he's going to in the book of Revelation, like he says he will. He's going to seal his people. This first sealing is of the 144,000 Israel, and then it's an innumerable multitude, the Gentile nations in the sea. Uh, and, and, and it could be that symbolic language is why you're not going to hurt the sea yet. The wrath can't come yet until I gather my children uh, and, and take them out of the sea and bring them to the shore, heaven. Read that in verse 13 and 14, would you, Brother Jeremy? 14. It says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. So that's that's what we see symbolically in this in this story uh, of John. That that's what he's hinting at. It's John who wrote the book of Revelation. It's John who wrote his gospel. It's John who interprets John. And it's it's only how John could write as as the Spirit of God moved him to write in in the testimony of Jesus, which is the Spirit of prophecy. Here we see in Revelation seven, there's a ceiling. God knows where His fish are, and then He brings them home. As we as we go on into this, the the balance of the twenty first chapter, the beginning tomorrow, we'll see how they're dragged to shore. That is a type of being brought out of the midnight hour, that great tribulation period, and and that's what we're seeing here. And so, and and that's what we learned today. Children, do you have any meat? Focus your attention on the right place. Yes, you're mature in the Lord. Yes, you know the Lord, but understand your times and do not be immature in your intellect or your understanding of exactly what the will of God is as we head into these final days of history on the earth. And so tomorrow, if the Lord allows, we're going to go further and we'll see some very incredible nuggets of hidden insight. And, and, as, and as we in our times continue to have revealed to us the, the hour in which we're living, like Brother Fernando was saying, like the great apostles, uh, it may be still a little too dark to see all these things, but, but know that Jesus is standing on the shore, brothers, and the daybreak is coming near, and the daybreak uh, is drawing near, and it's so much sooner than we think, man. But let us understand his will in these days, right? And and, 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 and and in the days ahead, let us comfort one another and, and draw close to one another and fellowship with one another, you know, knowing that our redemption draws near. And and <laughs> and, and it's very <laughs> and it could very well be we're all about to be caught up in that great heavenly net, right? <laughs> in the not too great distant future. And 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 we'll be brought to the shore by Jesus. And when we get there, He's going to say what He said to them, right? Come and dine, come and dine. Hallelujah! I'm excited. Yes. Can you say Amen? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know, as as we close today, Jesus would ask Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? You know. And many people would answer, I love you, God. You know, I'm doing this. I'm feeding the homeless. I'm going out. But he says, if you love me, feed my sheep. And 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 as, as Brother Marty said, it's, it's, it's preparation. It's preparation. Amen. The harvest, don't wait another three, four months. It's here. Yeah. And, and that's why that Jesus told him, lay down your net on the right side. 
And when they did, they caught a great, great multitude of fish. Praise God. We thank God for his word today. We pray that you've been blessed. We pray that uh, God has spoken to you in some way or in some fashion in this hour, revealing to you the greater, hallelujah, the revelation that God is given unto us in this hour to those that are hungry for him. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you and keep looking up.